got your Bible, go ahead and open it to Romans chapter 10. And this won't be our, our main text for this, uh, this evening, but we'll be starting off here. We are in the midst of a, a series we've been doing all summer long uh, on Wednesday nights called The Salt of the Earth, where we're focused on our role in God's plan as salt and light in this dark, dark world. And I, I hope that you've been uh, blessed, like I have, uh, to hear the teaching of, of God's Word and, and even just uh, to be shepherded, right? That in the light of current events in our society and in our nation, um, that we need to look to God's Word. Don't, do we not? Yes, we do. Absolutely. Thank you for... For those of you who said that, we need to look to God's word and, and so thankful that, that God's word does not live, leave us clueless. It doesn't leave us searching for, for answers. God words, God's word directs us and it leads us and it guides us. It makes straight the paths for our feet. And uh, so it's just such a joy to go to that word from the Lord together with you all and to be shaped uh, by that, and as uh, Ken and I were talking about this uh, series, there's definitely been an intentional sequence uh, to the way that we've worked through what God's Word says about this area of of outreach and evangelism, and how we interact with the world uh, around us. Uh, Ken used the the analogy of like the last few weeks being like him setting the golf ball on the tee, right? He's just setting us up. And, and so I'm like, so that means I get to take out, like, my big Bertha driver and, like, hit the golf ball, right? That so far we've been focusing on our lives and our character being, being salt, being salty, being different, having, uh, having our lives proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous Light, right? That is so crucial as we think about evangelism that we first think about our character and who we are, right? Many, many an, uh, an evangelism attempt has fallen on deaf ears because of the, the conduct of the person who's proclaiming the gospel, right? Don't you, don't you know people that act like jerks in, in, in their quest to proclaim the truth of, of God's word? Um, and so it's just so uh, important for us to, to think about this, right? You know, it's, it's Jesus put it in order, right? Salt and then light. As we, as we have looked at it, uh, the famous pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we are something before we act as something, right? That there's an order to this. But uh, let's just remember, if you go to, to Romans chapter 10, hopefully you're, you're already already there, that as we think about this, there's a, there's a phrase that's often employed, and I, and I think with good, with good motivation as we think about reach, reaching out and we think about the gospel, and it's the phrase, probably you've heard it, right, preach the gospel, use words if necessary, right? Anybody, anybody heard, that, heard that phrase before, right? And we understand the heart in which that's said, right? It's saying that, hey, if we're preaching the gospel, but our lives are preaching something else, right, like that, that is not going to be an effective fruitful gospel, right? That, that, that is going to put a barrier to the gospel. It's going to hinder people's understanding and, and really hinder gospel, gospel clarity. Uh, but as Al Mohler once say, said, let's make no mistake, words are necessary, right? You, you, you cannot preach the message of the gospel without words, right? God gave us words, Right? He gave us a book. He gave us a message that needs to be proclaimed. And we won't belabor this point right at the beginning, but that's the transition that we're making in our series, that we've talked about our lives, we've talked about being winsome, we've talked about our character, um, we've talked about who we are. But in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard with, with words? And how are they to hear without someone preaching with words, with proclamation? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, your, your testimony, your life, can place a barricade to the gospel. Right? So we want to make sure that, that we're living 
in light of the gospel, right? That we're walking in a manner worthy of the one who has called us to himself. And your life can be a testimony that makes people want to know what is different about you, right? Like, wouldn't that be the greatest joy that you could have, one of the greatest joys, if someone came up to you and said, what is different about you? Wouldn't that delight your heart? Wouldn't that give you great cause to praise Jesus Christ for his work in your life of transformation, that you're different to the point that someone else wants to ask you about it? We pray that that is us, right? We pray that we are living in such a way that many people, they see us and they, they see the way we carry ourselves and, and even they, they see the way that we interact with sinners with, with love and compassion and the gospel, and, and they say, what, what is different about you? Why are you not like everyone, everyone else? But when they ask you, you're still going to have to have something to say in response, right? You're, you're still going to have to proclaim to them. You get the great joy, the honor, the privilege of making known to them, why are you different? It's not because you've gone to church your whole life. It's not because you're a good person. You were raised in a good family. It's because of Jesus Christ, and the change that he has made in your life. That you were once dead in your sins, but now through Christ, you've been made, you've been made alive. We need to shine the light, right? That we are the salt of the earth, but as Matthew 5 says, we won't turn there. But you also are the light of the world. Now, salt just is what it is, right? It has inherent properties to itself, NACL for all of you chemistry nerds out there, right? Like it's just, it is what it is, but light actively shines. It radiates. It, the source of light actually produces light that goes out from the light. And that's what we're going to be talking about the next few weeks together. So turn to our main passage for this evening, and that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This passage has just become a dear, a dear one to me uh, such joy as I read these words about myself, but also just uh, a great challenge to my life. And I, w- I want to make sure that I am walking in accordance with God's word. And, and really, uh, if you were to give uh, tonight's message a, a title, it would be Embracing the Ambassador Lifestyle. Right? Tonight, we're going to talk about being ambassadors, being light for Jesus Christ in our spheres of influence, in the place that, that God has for us. And my prayer for you and, and for myself is that as we see the role that God has for us as his followers, that we would embrace that, right? That, that, that we wouldn't try to push it off to the side, that it, it would be like the favorite jacket that we just want to wear and wear proudly and never take it off and put it in the washing machine, Right, like we just want it. that. That's what I hope that that we will embrace by God's grace this evening. So let me read, starting in verse seventeen of chapter five. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen. Could we just we could just end it right there? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, right? Tonight, as, as we look at this passage, my hope is that we'll embrace four, four truths as our own this evening, and the first one, if you're taking notes, is that we need to embrace our ministry. We need to embrace our ministry. So as we, as we get in, into this here, right, verse 18, 
All this is from God, this taking the old and making it new, making someone a new creation in Jesus Christ. That is from God. That is the purpose that God, before the ages began, set forth in Christ to unite all things in Jesus Christ, that God would save a people for his son to give him glory forever and ever, right? That we had all turned aside from God, but God through his son, Jesus Christ, has provided reconciliation, that God had an agenda, God had a mission. God had a plan for how he was going to bring the maximum honor and glory and majesty to his name even before anything started, right? Before the, the world began, he chose us in him, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, that God has this plan to gather for his son a people from every tribe and nation and kindred for his own, that before his throne forever we'd all be singing holy, 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 that we would be celebrating the risen and exalted and reigning king and praising him for saving us forever. Like that's the mission, that's the, the plan, the, the, the goal that God has given to his son, and that's his own mission. But yet we also see all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Whoa. Like think about that, that God's ministry, God's mission, God's plan, he has invited us to be a part of that with him, right? Now, now notice, notice this, plural, right? That God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, right? Like Paul is not just saying, hey, me as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I have the unique and special ministry of proclaiming reconciliation, right, to, to the world, to the, to the Gentiles. No, it's, it's bigger than just Paul himself, right? There, there is an, an us sense to that, right, that, that we need to see. Turn, turn over just with me to the book of Acts for, for just a moment, and, and I hope that we can see this even in the, the, the ministry of the, of the early church because a lot of times as we think about this, we don't want us to be included in us, right? We want they to be included in us, but not us to be included, me to be included in, in, in us, right? And look at this, what Jesus says, right? So after Jesus has conquered sin and death and risen from the, from the grave and he's appeared uh, to his disciples. In verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, some might argue, hey, well, that's still the apostles, but the group, it seems like this group is, is together. Look at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, right? That there's this small group of Jesus' followers that's more than just the apostles, right, who are included in this group of people who are going to be his witnesses. Turn over just briefly to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John have been jailed, kind of the first, uh, first incidents of persecution after, after Jesus Christ. And so they're released and they go to their friends in verse 23 and they, and, they, and they recount all the elders and chief priests had said to them that they were warning them not to preach about Jesus Christ anymore. And in verse 24, and when they heard it, they, plural, lifted their voices together to God. Everybody who's there, they go to their friends. The whole group cries out to the Lord. And in verse uh, 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they are gathered together was shaken and they were all filled 
with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We, we see here right from the beginning, to be a follower of Christ is to be a witness, right? There, there weren't like, oh, well, there, there's some small subset of the group of believers that's witnessing. We got our evangelism team and the rest of us are just on our like theological study team, right? Like you, you guys go do the evangelism. We'll like reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility together here in Solomon's portico, right? Like that's not the way. They all, all, everyone is going out with all boldness. Turn to Acts chapter eight. Let's just see this one more time, right? After the persecution intensifies, Stephen is actually stoned, and it says, and Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Did Jesus predict that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? I believe he did, right? Except the apostles, right? So, oh, what is, what's that? The, the apostles are staying. Everybody else is going, Right, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And catch verse 4. Now those who were scattered, not the apostles, went about, and what were they doing? Preaching the word. Right? They weren't necessarily going and preparing you know, four-pointed, alliterated you know, sermons, but they were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were telling about Jesus Christ. It was everyone, right? Go back to 2 Corinthians 5, and let's just see the force that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You are a part. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you are a part of that us, that God has given that ministry of people being reconciled to God through Christ to you. He has invited you into his mission to save sinners for the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. Like, do, do you get that? Do, do you get that? Now, now, I think a lot of us, when we think about evangelism, we think about different forms of evangelism, and, and we've all probably got a few tales of, of people that are evangelists that we don't want to be like. Right, like we don't want to strap on that mini speaker to our belt and get that box crate and stand upon it and, and rain down fire and brimstone upon everyone who's crossing on the street who does not hear, want to hear what we have to say. Right, like there's there's extreme of examples of people just being jerks or or we, we think oh man I've got to be like Ray Comfort and start a conversation about you know Nazis and and all of a sudden it gets to the gospel. <laughs> How does he do it, right? I can't, I can't do that, right? I'm no Ray Comfort. I might not be a part of the us. No, we all are a part of us, right? Far too many of us convince ourselves that the proclamation of the good news of the gospel is for someone else, not me. I don't, I don't have to be a part of that, right? He says, you will be my Witnesses, Not you will witness from time to time when the situation is right and when you are feeling good. No, you're going to be my witnesses. That's who you are as a Christian, right? To be a Christian is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Right? In Matthew 5, right? Well, these, these verses that have kind of been the foundation for our, our study, right? Um, does he say, hey, at, at occasions in your life, you, you'll function as salt, right? Every now and then, you, you, you will shine a little bit of light, like fairy dust out to someone, right? Like, no, right? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If that's a Christian, it's not just something that you do. It's who you are. It's who you are. And the sad truth is that far, far too many of us We've abandoned who we are in Jesus Christ, right? We've, we've kind of looked around us at the church in America today, right? And okay, that church over there, they're, they're not really doing a lot of witnessing. So I, I, then they seem like things are going okay over there. So, you know, we're just like the same as them, right? We've got to look at, at God's word. And when we look at that, it, it challenges us. 
right? That God has given us a ministry. God has given us a role to play. And my question for you is, is that you? When you think about yourself, do you think witness, light, You've got the ministry of reconciliation, ambassador. Is that the way that you view yourself, that Jesus Christ has saved you, has reconciled you unto himself so that you could be a part of his work of reconciliation in the lives of other people? Right? So, so often it's like we, we want to do the Heisman to evangelism. Oh, uh, that's for someone else with the gift of evangelism. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going o- over here. We, we need to embrace it. We need, we need to put it on and, and, and realize that that's who we've been made to be in Jesus Christ, right? We are on a mission, right? And that mission is God's mission, right? He, he is not lacking in desire or ability to save, but even as we've already looked at, at Matthew chapter 9, what does he want us to pray for? People to realize that they've been given the ministry of reconciliation, laborers to go out into his harvest. And I, this week is an exciting week at, at Lakeside, right? Because we got teams. We got teams that we're sending off, right? Like, I have never been more pumped to get up and be here at Lakeside at 5 in the morning than I am for this Friday, right? To get to pray with the Honduras team and, and be excited and encourage them in their last moments here at, here at Lakeside, right? We're sending out this foreign evangelism team uh, but there's a lot of us that aren't going to Honduras. How about we form the local evangelism team, right? That like, hey, over these next few weeks, we got some people who are going to be lights in Albania, some people who are going to be lights in Honduras, and some people who are going to be lights in April Sound and Crown Oaks and, and Walden and at Fuseco and at you know, construction sites and at doctor's offices and at homeschool co-ops and, right, we're, we're, we're witnesses, right? We have a mission, and it's here, right? It's there, but it's also here. Right? I pray for those of you who are going to Honduras, right? I think one of the unique temptations about a, a short-term mission trip is, is it's almost kind of you can, you can build a box, right, that you said, check, right? I, did, I, I, I recited my testimony in Spanish, Right? You know, boom, evangelism, done for the year, right? Until next, next summer at Honduras. I want to pray. I am praying for you guys who go to Honduras that you will come back so excited to bring the gospel to people who you see every day, right? In some ways, it's easy to preach the gospel to someone that there's no cost, right? You're never going to see them again. It's not going to be awkward between the two of you from, from now on, right? But people here need the gospel, and we've got that ministry of reconciliation. We're not the ones who do the reconciling, but we're the ones who arrange the meeting with the one who can reconcile sinners, Jesus Christ, right? We introduce them to the one who has accomplished reconciliation. We're, we're the ones present. We are the ambassadors, right? Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I love that, I love that analogy, Right, that illustration, that, that, that word picture that Paul uses that, that we, we get, right? The people in those days would get that Rome in that, in that day and age is ruling the world, and Rome is sending out its ambassadors throughout the world to represent Rome, to speak for Rome in the midst of places that aren't Rome, right? And so in the same way, we are ambassadors. We are living in a foreign land, aren't we, right? We're, we're not with God in heaven yet. We are sent out with a mission and with a message, right, that while we're here in this foreign land, we don't, we don't live just like the people of this country. We're still citizens of our other country, right? We're not citizens of this world. This world is not our home. We're, we're aliens. We're strangers. We're sojourners in this foreign land, right? I'm from somewhere else. I don't, I don't live like the people here because I'm a representative of my king who is from a, another kingdom that's not America or Canada 
or Mexico or whatever, right? That I come as a representative, and if you think about it, right, there, there might be some ambassadors, they come and they, they dress in the native garb of, of the capital or of their homeland, and they, they live among the people, but they're not quite the same as the other, the other people. But you're not really a good ambassador until we see some, like, hear ye, hear ye, right? That, like, ambassadors are not just there to kind of, like, hang out, among the other people, they're there to speak, right? They are there to announce the proclamations of their king who has sent them. And in the same way, we are too, right? The second thing that we have to embrace, not just that this is the ministry that God has given us, we have to embrace the message that God has given to us. Look at how he says, he says in verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciled the, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the, the message of reconciliation, right? We need to embrace our message, this word or message of reconciliation. Now, when I talk to people about evangelism, when I talk to people of taking that, that step that builds upon my character and my life and living for the Lord, of actually speaking to someone else, usually I see intimidation in the eyes of people. Anybody else ever feel intimidated when we talk about evangelism? Like if we all said, right, like right now, there's people at a snow cone stand, let's go share the gospel with them. Like how many of you guys would be wilting in your, in your, in your chairs? And as I've talked with people, the, the number one response that, that I get that, that makes people feel intimidated, you could probably guess it yourself, what is it? I don't know what to say. Right? I heard that, Cannon Baldridge. Thank you, my plant in the audience, right? I don't know what to say. Right? Like, what would I actually, if I were to open my mouth and speak, if someone were to come to me and ask me, what, what would I say? Right? Like, we need to know what to say. Right? We need to know the gospel. Right? We need to know this message, this word of reconciliation, this good news about Jesus Christ. It was uh, last week, um, a few of us took a, an advanced trip to the location that we're having uh, Camp Revive at, you know, just to kind of do a lot of planning and you know, interact with the staff there. It was a great trip, and I was really uh, pumped that we got to be driven by my good friend Dylan Linton, I think who's, who's here somewhere. Right, there he is. Hey, what's up, buddy? Right, Dylan Linton. And Dylan has a new car, right? Like, kind of, not like new, new, but like new to you, new. But it had the new car smell. I remember like one Sunday after church, I, walk, I see him and he's not walking out to an old gnarly truck that, that I'm familiar with, right? It's, it's something new. And I'm like, what is going on here? And Dylan, with great joy, talks to me about his new car and it's like let's get in this and it's a stick shift like how manly is that like that is every young man should learn to drive a stick shift can we get an amen from from the older men in the in the in the room and it was just sweet to see his joy that that his excitement about his car was something that he wanted to share with with someone else now i drive a 2003 honda accord I don't want to tempt all of you to jealousy, but there it is, right? And, uh, and I, love my, I love my car. That car has been faithful. I, I, we actually got that car the day that Corey and I got married, right? I signed the papers for it in the parking lot of In-N-Out Burger, like on the day we get married. It's, it's got this special place in my, in my heart, right? It's, it's sweet. Um, but... but it's seen some years. Like, let's just be honest, right? One of the evidences of the fall is that you got to buy new cars every like 10 years, maybe 12 years if by strength of life and engineering, right? You can, you can make them go that, that long. But, you know, my, my 2003 Honda Accord, like, it, I don't preach the good news of my car to a lot of people these, these days, right? If you were to ask me about it, I'd be like, hey, I'm thankful for it. Gets me to where I, I need to go. But, but there isn't that newness, that, that freshness to it that makes me like eager to talk about it with other people. And, and I think a lot of times we treat the gospel like a 2003 Honda Accord, right? That, you know, yeah, it was sweet when we got it. Like, oh my goodness, this thing's got like a sunroof and a six-disc CD changer. You kids, 
with all of your CDs, those compact discs, right? Like, I mean, I remember thinking, like, this thing is sweet, right? Like, I'm going to marry my woman and sail off into the sunset on this boat right here, right? It was, it was sweet. It was a, a time of, of, great, of great joy. Um, but as I think about it, I don't think a lot about, hey, what has my car done for me lately? Right? And, and, and I think about in, in our lives, we kind of view the gospel as the thing that kind of gets us into the party, and then we leave it at the door and forget all about it. Right? That we move on to bigger and better things than the work of Christ for us? How, how can we do that? Right? As I think about my car, my car is still getting me where I need to go faithfully by God's grace. Like We're going to ride that thing for, for a while longer if God, God allows it. To, to happen, right? But I'm always struck by Paul's view of the gospel, right? I've shared this before, but if you were to go to Ephesians chapter 2, right? Like, isn't that one of the sweetest gospel passages that exists in the Bible? No, nobody likes Ephesians 2 in the room. We're all Romans people. We're, we, don't, we don't like Ephesians, right? No, it's a sweet, but God, I mean, has there ever been a sweeter phrase than Ephesians chapter 2? Verse 4, who is he writing to? There we go. We're, we're tracking along here, right? We're, we're trying to get some of that Shannon Hurley, you know, back and forth going, going on here. Right? How, how long had Paul spent with the Ephesians? Two, three years? Right? Did, did he just miss the most important thing of all during those two or three years? Is that new information for them? No, he, he wants to remind them of Jesus Christ. He wants to remind them that they were dead in their trespasses and sins in which they once walked. But God, because of his great love, made us alive together with Jesus Christ. Right? Old friends, mature friends, godly friends. What do I want to write to you about? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. I'm always struck. Turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 4. For all you young people, that's after the Timothys. Titus chapter 3. Titus, Paul's protege, right? Verse 5 of chapter 1. I left you in Crete that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders. This guy is single-handedly appointing elders in the towns of Crete, right? This guy is no slouch. This guy has been groomed. This guy has been discipled. This guy has been trained by Paul. Verse 4 of chapter 3. Verse 3 of chapter 3, sorry. For we ourselves, us, me, Paul, you, Titus, right? We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? Like, my friend whom I've walked with, who I've served with, who have been known for a leather, who you're so mature that you're appointing elders. Remember the gospel. Let the gospel be fresh. Remember who you were before Christ saved you. Remember what he accomplished for you in the gospel. We so often let the gospel become stale and old like crusty bread. Nobody's excited about crusty old bread. right? People aren't necessarily pumped about old cars, but something new Something fresh, something that has brought fresh joy into my life this week, who has changed my life this week, that's something I want to talk about with other people. That's got zip. That's got pop. That's on the tip of my tongue, the teeth and the lips, right? I am ready to talk about that. And that's the way the gospel should be for us, right? And that's what's going to bring the gospel sweetness. I can stand there with my gospel bullet points God, man, Jesus, you. What do you think, right? Um, but that's not going to convince anybody, right? I, I'm, I'm not going to convince someone to believe in something that they can tell I don't find great joy in myself. 
right, we're preaching good news, my friends, and that good news is still just as good for us today as it was the very first day that we heard it, the very first day that we got saved, right? The gospel has got the ability to transform us continually. Right? I, was, I was sitting in my office uh, even yesterday talking with a family and, and working uh, through some conflict with them. And, and I remember one of the people that I was talking to said, hey, hey I, you know, and I, I'm talking about reconciliation between, you know, one person has sinned against another and so we need to be reconciled in this. And, and one person just, you know, was really struggling. That how, how can I forgive this person? Right? How, how, I don't know if I can do that was the statement that, that, that they made. And, and naturally, we, we don't do that. Right? Apart, apart from being forgiven by Jesus Christ, we're not very forgiving to other, to other people. It's like the parable of the, the unforgiving servant. You guys remember that one that Jesus told where here's this servant that owes billions and billions of dollars. I always love sharing that with the students. It's like billions and billions of dollars, right? This huge, unsurmountable, unpayable debt. It's wiped clean. And then let me go find my buddy who owes me 50 bucks and throw him in jail. Pay me what you owe. Right? It's, it's the gospel that transforms us, right? And it was such a joy to talk through that we are sinners ourselves, right? And, and let's look at this offense against us in comparison to our transgressions against the Lord, right? Let's look at the gospel. Let's look at how, how wicked and vile and helpless we, we were how much he saved us from. And then any offense against me? Small potatoes, right? Insignificant. Pish posh. Let's deal with it and be done, right? In light of how much God in Christ has forgiven me for. It was a great joy to see that family walking out of my office with joy in the gospel, right? With joy in what Christ has done for them that they saw changed their life yesterday, Right? They didn't get saved yesterday, but the gospel still shaped their perspective. It shaped their, their thoughts. And this, this message has power. Right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And let's look at what this is. Right? It is called the word or the message. If you're back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 19, the message of reconciliation. It says in verse 19, it's kind of a summary of that. It says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and has given us that message of reconciliation. Now, inherent in that, there, there's a lot right there, right? That this message, it includes the fact that we need to be reconciled, right? Reconciliation, by its definition, infers that there's distance, that there's a, a separation between two parties that need to be brought back together, that need to be reconciled. That's what the word reconciling means, right? And what, what has caused that distance, right? It is our, in verse 19, as he says it, there are trespasses or our transgressions that we have sinned and rebelled. Do you realize that if you're going to be an ambassador who is proclaiming the message of reconciliation, one of the, the most important things that you're going to have to convince people of that they don't want to hear is that they're not already with God, that they are far, that their sins even though they think of themselves as a good person, even maybe if they go to church every single week of their life, that their sins have made a separation between them and God, an insurmountable separation that no amount of good deeds can overcome, right? Can only be overcome by one making that reconciliation through Christ. And that's the good news that, that God was reconciling the world to themselves, not counting their trespasses against them. How is that, how is that possible, right? How is, how is it possible for sinners to be brought back and, and made right before God that they've rebelled against? Look at verse 21. For our sake he made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. 
right? Jesus Christ came to earth. God's own son came to earth and lived the perfect life, the true and better Adam, right? Never, never, never stain of sin, never, make sure you get that, it's probably important, right? Never stain of sin. He lived a perfect life, right? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God, right? That there's this substitution, there's this theological word is imputation, the double imputation, right? That I've got buckets and buckets of sin, right? And, and I need, those, I need the, the, those buckets to be unloaded for myself. I need all of that sin to be taken away and the wrath for that sin to be poured out, not on me, but on someone else. God's wrath for my sin has to be satisfied. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of, of sins, right? So I, I need someone to take the wrath in my place and bear the guilt and shame and, and condemnation of my sin. And I need to not just like have like sort of a, like a fresh start. I, I need like to be made absolutely perfect in the eyes of God, right? And praise God that Jesus Christ was absolutely perfect, right? And what he does is he, he switches. He, he gives me his righteousness and it's counted to me as if it was my own. It's not my own. I'm not righteous. But God treats me as if I had lived the perfect life that his son, Jesus Christ, had lived. And all of my sin and all of my shame and all of the just wrath that God has stored up for me that is like this ominous black cloud that is waiting to be poured out on me, he poured it out on his son in my place on the cross. Right, so that in him we could be the righteousness of God. But this message is not just a message of salvation. Right? It, you know, you think about it, right? He could have said, and entrusted to us the message of justification, right? Or, you know, redemption, or, you know, being redeemed, right? Um, no, but he says the message of reconciliation, right? When we're proclaiming this message, The heart of the gospel is that Jesus Christ saved us from our sins, but why? 1 Peter 3.18, right? He he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, 1 Peter 3.18, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, that double imputation, that he might bring us to God, that he might reconcile us, that this relationship that's been torn apart because of our rebellion and our sin could be mended. And could be brought back to a spot of full and complete reconciliation. That now we're adopted into God's family and we cry out, Daddy. Right? That there's this sweetness that's restored. Right? You, you see, like, is, is the gospel taking shape for you? Right? That we've got to talk about sin. We've got to talk about the only way that our sin could be taken care of, which is through Jesus Christ. It can't be our own works. But we've also got to tell people the best news of the gospel is that you get God. Right? I love Shannon's message on Sunday that we get to walk with God because of Jesus Christ, that he has made us acceptable to the Lord. That there is joy in living in a right relationship with God that he satisfies. Sin doesn't, but Jesus does. This is the message, right? And if there was ever anything that we wanted to get right, to be accurate on, to make sure that it's full and complete. So many people, you know, their gospel that they're saying is Jesus loves you, right? Now, is that the truth? Please say yes, right? Okay, thank you, thank you, right? But is that the complete truth, right? If Jesus loves me because I'm already good and I'm already buddy-buddy with him, mediocre news, right? But if, if Jesus loves me, when I have turned away from him and rejected him and rebelled against him, that changes the whole thing, right? We want to make sure that what we are proclaiming, this message of reconciliation, if there was ever anything that we wanted to practice and make sure we had it right, it's the gospel, right? We need to be practicing the gospel. So we've got gospel worksheets, Okay, so here's what we're going to do. we got a few guys who have a few gospel worksheets. We're actually going to pass these out, and I want to give you some homework. It's summertime, but school's in session, right? And it's the message of reconciliation that we're, that we're studying. So I don't want you to do anything with this right now, but, but what I wanted to do through this is, is I want 
you to ask yourself some questions that will help you to think and meditate on the gospel this week, right? That, that if, if we want the gospel to be fresh for us, right, if we want it to have that beauty and that desirability that's going to make us eager to talk about it with other peoples, then, we, then we've got to think about, hey, am, am I rejoicing in the gospel myself this week? So there's a few questions about that. And then the last question, which we want you to use all the space that you need, whether it's the bottom of this page, the back, you'll get reams of paper from your printer, whatever you need to do. But write out, type out, think through. If you had three to four minutes, right? If an unbeliever who doesn't know Jesus Christ said, hey, I'm going to give you four minutes of my time and I want to hear the gospel. What would you say, right? Write it out word for word, right? I had the joy of walking through uh, one of our members at, at Lakeside who, who, who was so excited about her granddaughter who doesn't know the Lord was going to come and stay a weekend with her. And she was so passionate that she wanted to share the gospel with, with her granddaughter. And I said, okay, pray, pray, praise the Lord. Let's get ready to do that, right? And so what we did is I had her do exactly what I'm going to ask you to do right now is to write out the gospel. And then she brought it back and we talked about it together. And I think through that, she was able to realize, okay, maybe there were some things that were probably important for me to say that, that I just didn't think about, right? That, you know, like when you're thinking about it and you're in the moment, it's like, oh man, I just, I forgot that, right? And there were things that was like, okay, this might be a little bit confusing for someone who hasn't gone to church. Like, let's think about how we can just make this clear right so they can clearly understand it so there's no confusion so they're not they're not you know just walking away going like I didn't really get what that was all about right if there was ever anything that we wanted to be crystal clear it's it's the gospel and so if if we want that gospel clarity when we talk to someone else do you think we should practice that right I mean NBA basketball players I mean maybe not like DeAndre Jordan or Dwight Howard but they practice their free throws so that in the moment, it's just muscle memory, right? They're not even thinking about it. It's just happening naturally. The gospel should be muscle memory for us, my friends. And it's only going to happen if we think about it, if we practice it, if we actually go through the process. So, so here's what I want to ask you to do. I'll, I want you to actually fill this out and bring it back next week. And we're going to talk about it. Can we do that? Can we, can we do that? All right, so I'm going to hold you, hold you to that, right? We won't necessarily publicly shame, or maybe we should uh, publicly shame those who, those who don't, but, but realize, like, hey, there's, there's no more important purpose, right? There's possibly nothing more that could be more important this next week for you to, to make sure that you're ready to share the gospel with someone else because that's who you are, right? You're only secondarily a doctor or a lawyer or a construction worker or a mom or a student or, or whatever, you're a witness. That's who Jesus Christ has made you to be. So, so take, take that out, and, and just with the last few moments that, that we have left, there, there's two more things that I, I want us to just think through very, very briefly. The third thing is, is that we've got to embrace our means. Right? We've got to embrace the message of the gospel. We've got to have confidence in the gospel but we've also got to embrace, look at, look at what it says here. This is a fascinating, Randy Swearingen and I, Randy's going to be teaching on this passage, probably doing a much better job than I, I will in Honduras. And we were talking about this, and, and listen to verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Now, now here's the thing, right? We've got to have the gospel, right? Like we need to think of like the gospel is like a grenade, right? We got our gospel grenade and we keep and just chucking it, right? We just, we're just throwing out the gospel. God's the one who decides whether it goes off and trans, transforms someone else. We're just, we're just lobbing it, right? We're just going to keep on bringing it to people, and our confidence is in the gospel. But, but listen to this. God is appealing through us. Have you thought about that? Right, right, now think about it. 
like Randy and I were talking about, like we, we like to think God commands everyone everywhere to repent, right? He is the king. He doesn't ask for it. He commands it. But yet, in this verse right here, through people who've been reconciled, who've been given this ministry and message of reconciliation, God appeals to people. And that, that word appeal, it's like this tender, this tender asking. It's almost like when you're sharing the gospel with someone, when you're saying what God says, when you're sharing the truth of the gospel with someone, it's almost as if God is actually asking that person, begging even that person, would you be, would you be reconciled? Would you have your sins forgiven? Would you, would you have your guilt washed clean? Would, would you be adopted into the family of God the Father forever? Like God, when we share the gospel, God is appealing to people. And I think so often when we, when we think about the gospel, when we think about our means, we're, we're worried about our transitions and how we're going to go from just normal conversation to the, to the gospel. What, what I told this dear saint at, at Lakeside who was wanting to share the gospel with her, her, her granddaughter, I said, just ask her. It's so simple, right? And guess what happened? She said yes, right? Hey, can I, can I spend a few minutes just talking with you about the main message, what the Bible's all about, what I believe, what's changed my life? Sure, right? Like that's probably what you'll, you'll get. And if people say no, then like, okay, right? If the Holy Spirit wants them to get saved, is he powerful enough to make them say yes? Okay, so we don't have to worry about the means of our transitions and put all our confidence in our smoothness and our intellect and our ability to answer every question. As we present the gospel, the means of salvation is that God is appealing through us. It's like God is reaching out through your words to grab a hold of someone, right? That the Holy Spirit is taking people who are dead in their sins, and some of them that you talk to and you're proclaiming the gospel, he will make them alive right there in front of you. Think about that, right? That God would appeal through us, right? He doesn't do it through writing messages in the sky, carry your pigeons with the gospel on them. No, it's, it's through us, God makes his appeal. We are the channel through which the voice of God that is powerful to regenerate, make the dead alive, cause the dry bones to come to life. That happens through us as we proclaim the good news of the gospel to people. Yes, we need to study. Yes, we need to be clear. But God has the ability. Can we just rejoice in that, right? That like when I think about myself, I'm like, no one's getting saved, right? No, nobody's, nobody's coming to Jesus through, through me and my ability to persuade. But God is persuasive, right? God takes the dead and makes them alive. He can snatch their attention. So we, we need to plead with people, right? So often we can just say, okay, I'm going to present this message of the gospel and not plead with people, right? Paul, as an example of this very thing with some of the Corinthians, says, we implore you, would, would you please be saved? Would you please turn from your sin and, and put your trust in Christ? Would you do that today while you still have time, while today is the day of salvation, that you might be dead tomorrow? Would you, would you do it now? We have to plead with them. Right? The gospel is more than just information, it, it's a message that, that comes with some earnestness and some, some depth of, would you please, right? And that's God making his appeal through us. As we, as we think about this, I hope that you're not thinking, all right, well, this is hard work and I guess I gotta do homework now. I haven't been in school for 32 years, but now I got homework again. Um, the best kind of homework that you've ever had in your life, let me just say for a second. But uh, so often we, we view evangelism as a chore. Oh, I've got to tell people the specs of my 2003 Accord, right? And not, not a joy, but think about this, right? Like this, this, whole, uh, this whole talk of, of our role and, and what God wants to do through us, it, it's couched 
in sweetness, right? Verse 17, right? At the beginning of this passage, right? These, this section, which is even at the beginning of a, a bigger section. But, but therefore, if any was in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We, we need to embrace the greatness of this ministry. Right? Like, how great is it that through redeemed sinners who are nothing special in ourselves, that God could take the old and make it new, that someone could be made a new creation in Jesus Christ through our ministry? There's nothing greater in all the world than that. To see that transfer. To see someone go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light in Jesus Christ, that's not a duty. And I hope at the end of tonight that rather than just saying, hey, now go do your duty of evangelism, right? I want to excite you to evangelism, right? Because it works. God, do we believe that God will save people? That he will use the gospel to do that? Now, that doesn't mean that God will save necessarily every single person that we talk to, but do we know God's heart to save sinners? Has that been demonstrated throughout the course of of the entire human history? Uh, Absolutely, right? I've been reading this book that we're going to, we've been reading it with the college students, we're going to be reading it with the junior high and high schoolers, uh, Mr. Spurgeon, writing uh, The Soul, The Soul Winner, and, and his last chapter in this book is entitled, the soul winner's reward. And, and he just talks about the great joy that we have in sharing the gospel. And he says that that joy, that excitement that we have in being used by God in this ministry of reconciliation, it happens in at least three ways. Like the first way is when you share the gospel, like you get joy. I mean, how many of you, when you have shared the gospel, right, the fact that you've been faithful to proclaim and obey the Lord has brought you great joy. Absolutely, right? I, I had the, the privilege, like, you know, so the, the saint, I'm walking through with her, and we're talking about how to, you know, proclaim the gospel to her, her granddaughter, and it's, it's over this weekend, and then it's like, you know, we see each other the next week, and, and it's like, how did it go? And, like, the joy on her face was, like, palpable, right? Like, it was like a billboard of excitement that she had gotten to proclaim the gospel, to her granddaughter. Now, her granddaughter, to my knowledge, still hasn't turned from her sin, right? She, she still hasn't put her faith in, in Jesus Christ. But even the act of sharing the gospel, right? Even if someone punches you in the face after you share it, that will bring you joy, right? And everybody else at Lakeside would be like, man, I want to get punched in the face for the gospel, right? Like, I mean, the act, the actual act of making the good news known will bring you joy. It will. The second level, he says, is the joy we have for a fellow sinner. Right? Listen to, listen to this, this quote from the last chapter. He says, If you are eager for real joy, such as you may think over and sleep upon, I am persuaded that no joy of growing wealthy, no joy of increasing knowledge, no joy of influence over your fellow creatures, no joy of any sort can ever be compared with the rapture of saving a soul from death and helping to restore our lost brethren to our great father's house. Talk of a 10,000 pound reward it is nothing at all. One might easily spend that amount, but one cannot exhaust the unutterable delights which come from the gratitude of the converted from the error of their ways. Like maybe some of you, you know this joy, right? There, there's someone maybe in the room, there's someone that you know that has become a Christian because you introduced them to the reconciler, to Jesus Christ. Right? And when they see you, they've got joy. Right? Because like, they praise the Lord for his work in their life that, that God used you to be a part of. Right? That, is, that is great, great joy. But the last one, and, and this, this kind of rocked my world this week, he says, is the joy that we get in pleasing Christ. Right? Like, there's a certain sense in which 
Like our obedience pleases Christ, right? And so our faithfulness to, to heed God's command and to live in light of it pleases Christ. But, but he says this, but the richest reward, the best, right, lies in pleasing God and causing the Redeemer to see the travail of his soul. Spurgeon, right, using bottom shelf English for us, right? We have to think about what? Causing the Savior, the Redeemer, to see the travail of his soul? Now, now Christ has determined, right, there is a number of people that have been foreordained, chosen before the foundation of the world from every tribe, tongue, nation, people that God has chosen to save by his grace, right? He didn't need to choose anyone. He would have been absolutely righteous in choosing none at all and condemning us all to his wrath that we deserve, but he chose to save, right? And he chose this purpose to unite all things in him, to cause Jesus Christ to be the theme of heaven's praises, even as we sang in the song. And he continues that Jesus should have his reward is worthy of the eternal Father. But listen to this. But it is marvelous that we should be employed by the Father to give Christ the purchase of his agonies. This is a wonder of wonders. Oh, my soul, this is an honor too great for thee, a bliss too deep for words. Listen, dear friends, and answer me. What would you give to cause a thrill of pleasure in the heart of the well-beloved? You guys realize that there is rejoicing in heaven when a sinner gets saved? And this rejoicing is in the presence of the angels? Who's doing that rejoicing? It's Jesus Christ. It's God the Father. They are together rejoicing when sinners come to salvation, when the work of Christ is applied to the souls of those who are saved. He says, recollect the grief you cost him and the pangs that shot through him that he might deliver you from your sin and its consequences Do you not long to make him glad? When you bring others to his feet, you bring him joy, and no small joy either. He says, if I could say this as I ought to say it, it would make every Christian cry out, then I will labor to bring souls to the Savior. And it would make those of us who have brought many to Jesus instant, in season and out of season, to bring more to him. It is a great pleasure to do kindness to an earthly friend, but to be doing something distinctly for Jesus, something with which, which will be of all things in the world most pleasing to him, is great delight. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that we can bring Jesus pleasure and joy? Right, that through his reconciling work and him making us into a new creation and making us his witnesses and giving us the message of reconciliation and making us his ambassadors, that he will get the joy and the glory of seeing that every sinner, that he paid the price for their sins, that he was made to be sin for them so that they might become the righteousness of God in him. And that just brings Jesus joy. And that brings us joy, right? To to, to bring honor and to magnify the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So friends, speak, right? Don't just live a silent existence, uh, ashamed of Christ's words. Fill your mind with what God's word proclaims and then open your mouth and talk to others. Proclaim the gospel, the word of reconciliation. Plead with people. And when you do, know that the powerful pleading will be God pleading through you. Let's pray. God, we want to give you all the honor and all the praise for your work through your son, Jesus Christ. God, that that you have not counted our trespasses against us but God through your son that you have saved us that you've made us new that you've redeemed us and God that that mission or that purpose that you had before creation 
to magnify your son and his work of salvation. Lord, what a joy that you invite us into it. And we get to be a part of that. And Lord, I, I just pray for all my friends, God, who have not known that joy of seeing someone go from death to life because you transformed them, who have not had the joy of being faithful to proclaim your gospel even in the midst of persecution and ridicule and, and broken relationships. God, I, I pray that you would help us to see that that's us. God, I pray that there will be many here tonight who, Lord, maybe have been too intimidated to share the gospel. Lord, maybe they haven't even been thinking about their role in proclaiming this message to, to others of speaking for you. Lord, I pray that you would excite them to this cause. Tonight, Lord, we long for many who live among us and who are in our neighborhoods and in our extended families, some of us even in our immediate families, or people that we work with, people that live down the street from us, people in the grocery store who are lost, who need you. And Lord, you have planned for your appeal to them, your tender, sweet call for them to turn from their sin and be saved. You've planned for that to come through us. And so, God, we want to rally together. We want to practice together. We want to be equipped and sent out and mobilized in Honduras, but also here in Albania, but also here in Uganda, but also here, Lord, to magnify your name and be your ambassadors. So, God, by your grace, would you cause us all to embrace your plan for us, Lord, to embrace the role that you've given us in the greatest purpose of all purposes, to bring honor and glory and majesty to the King of Kings, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We pray that the gospel would be fresh and sweet to us, even tonight, that we would leave this place with great joy because of all that you've done for us, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.